0: Welcome to Hollywood and Levine. I am Ken Levine, your podcast host. Happy New Year, everybody. Oh, man, this is the beginning of my seventh year doing this podcast, episode 306, and I'm going to start off the year by uh, answering your questions, because you guys came through for me. I got a, a number of Friday questions. And again, to refresh the memories of those of you who are not regular listeners, when I had my blog, I used to have a feature called Friday Questions. And every Friday I would answer three or four questions that were sent in by readers. And I thought, you know... Let's do this on the podcast as well. And so if you have a question, HollywoodLevine at Outlook.com is my email address. And just shoot me an email, and I will try to answer it. And if this works, and if I get enough questions filtering in from time to time, then I will do this as a semi-regular feature. But I thought uh, today to kick off the year per your request... I'm going to do the audio equivalent of Friday questions. I guess these are January questions. And again, thanks to everybody who sent in your questions. And if I don't get your question today, then I probably will get to it the next time. So hang in there. Okay, first off, Bob Silva from Hawaii has a question, and I know a lot of you are just buried in snow going, "Eh, Hawaii, great. Anyway, his Friday question is, are two-part episodes specifically written to be two parts, or is it a one-part episode that has enough story to make two episodes? And the actual answer to this question is both. It's kind of in the middle. Usually what happens is you'll be trying to break out a story, And there's just too much story for one episode. And you go, all right, well, then let's turn it into a two-parter. But usually when you do that, truth be told, you end up with a part and a half with filler. So there's a certain amount of filler in part one and a certain amount of filler in part two to get you to that space it's great as a writer because if you go in and you're going to get a script assignment and you work with the story editor, you work with the staff and the showrunner and put together a story, and as you're breaking it, you find, wow, there's way too much here. Um, let's just turn this into a two-parter. Like, ka you've just made double the money. So that... Always works out well, but like I said, uh, you know we've done a number of two parters on on various shows, and i 'm never totally happy with them you know it's usually part two is way better than part one, that part one is mostly set up, which is again hard to write because you're trying to make it entertaining. You're trying to make it really funny, and not an awful lot is happening. It's going to all pay off in Part 2, but you got to keep Part 1 going. So uh, that's the answer to that question, Bob Silva. Enjoy your time in Hawaii. John Schrank says, okay, how about this one? Actually, he's got a couple. Why do you think Neil Simon is becoming forgotten today? It wasn't that long ago that the name meant Broadway comedy. Well, I would have to say, number one, he sure is not forgotten in The Hinterlands. Uh, I'm sure at this very moment, The Odd Couple is playing in 18 community theaters and in four regional theaters, and that's just in the U.S., that his stuff is constantly being done. Now, styles have changed a little bit also, if I'm being honest, very hard to do what he does. In order to keep an audience laughing for 90 minutes, man, that dialogue has to really, really be sharp, especially in your early plays. And I say that because once you're established, once you're Neil Simon, and you buy a ticket, and you know it's a comedy, you just expect it's going to be funny, so you're there to laugh. And in some cases, he gets laughs that aren't really earned. But last year on Broadway, they had a revival. Actually, it's two years ago now. Hmm. Uh, They had a revival of Plaza Suite with Sarah Jessica Parker and Matthew Broderick, And the reviews were just scathing. It was just like, oh my God, this is so musty. And this is just, you know, so retro. And none of this is relevant. None of this works anymore. It killed. It killed at the box office. It did so much better than most of the new plays out there. So don't count out Neil Simon just yet. Uh, John also says that uh, I've never seen Last of the Red Hot Lovers, which he wrote, uh, but I have read about it, and it seems a guy trying very hard to cheat on his wife would not be a fitting topic for a play. It actually was a very funny play. Uh, But The Odd Couple, Barefoot in the Park, uh, they haven't become any less funny. They're not. Okay, so he also asks about stealing materials what have what is your opinion of people that feel others have stolen their material but not not just their material but their stick, like uh, Shelley Berman, who always used to claim that Bob Newhart was doing his act because Shelley Berman would sit on a stool and he would be on the phone. yeah, I would say that Bob Newhart gave that particular trope uh, a very different spin and is a very different type of comic than Shelley Berman. So I would say, nah, you know, you don't own a trademark on uh, doing doing the phone. And Richard Lewis also had the feeling that Paul Reiser stole his character. Uh, the and that that one, maybe. I, I don't know. I mean, a lot of times the good comedians will establish a persona. And when young comedians are coming up and they're learning and emulating, it's not unusual for them to take on some of the mannerisms of comedians they admire And that's why they need to spend lots of hours uh, in clubs, open mics, just defining their own personality and getting their own voice. Another question, this one by Jesse Jackson. As someone who loves music, who haven't you seen perform live that you wish that you could have seen perform? Either because they are now moved on to the next plane or because they no longer tour? Uh, the Beatles. The Beatles. And I actually had a chance to see the Beatles. This is a long time ago, back in the mid-60s. It was like before I could drive, and uh, a, a friend offered tickets, but I would have had to provide my own transportation to the Hollywood Bowl, which would have meant my mother would have had to drive me to and from And my mother is saying, "Uh, wait, uh, a sold-out, crazed Hollywood Bowl with all those teenage drivers, and and I'm supposed to find you and be in the middle of that mess? No, thank you. So, no, I never did get a chance to see the Beatles. But I did get to see most of the people who I really admire. I got to see Barbra Streisand in concert. That doesn't happen very often or is very cheap. I got to see Sinatra. This was towards the end, and he was, still, he was still pretty good. He couldn't hit all of the notes, but it wasn't the the later Sinatra. Oh, you know who I never saw was Elvis. And I would have liked to have seen the young Elvis. I would have loved to have seen the even first year in Vegas, Elvis, but fat Elvis towards the end when he was all drugged out. <laughs> no, thank you. Um, but uh, yeah, I got to see Simon and Garfunkel. I've seen uh, The Rolling Stones. Um, so I pretty much have seen uh, everyone who I would like to see. Uh, I mean, currently, I'd love to see Adele. And she's really amazing. I never saw the, the Jackson Five. I hear they were great. I did see the Beach Boys. Again, I don't want to age myself, but the Beach Boys played an assembly in my high school. That's how long ago that was. Stephen J says Things are different today. I find myself drawn to the new type of shows, mostly streamers, that are hard to define. These are part drama, part comedy, part absurdity, compelling, somewhat dark, with wicked twists and shocking plot turns, often leaving the viewers wondering whether they should laugh or cry. Those include shows such as The White Lotus, Berry, Slow Horses, Succession, and Yellowstone, to name a few that fall loosely into that broad spectrum. Do you like any of these new whatever-you-call-them kinds of shows? Are there any uh, among them that you would love to work on or that uh, you think are in your wheelhouse? Well, I do like Barry. I've not seen Slow Horses, but I'm going to because I hear it's really good. I've not seen Succession. People say, well, you know, it started off really slow and, uh, you know, you got to sit through like the first uh, six or seven. But boy, then it kicks in and I'm going like, boy, do I really want to sit through uh, six hours of something before it, quote, gets good? I personally, and I know it wins all the uh, awards and people love it. I can't stand The White Lotus. I hate The White Lotus. I I just personally, I think comedy should come out of a place of humanity. And just seeing horrible people do horrible things and humiliate each other and themselves, uh, to me is not amusing. And again, I know I'm in the minority. Lots of people love White Lotus. I absolutely can't stand it. Um have not seen Yellowstone yet, but I'm sure I'll get around to that. Uh, I did love The Good Fight. There were some years that were better than others, but I did like The, the Good Fight. Um, I loved Breaking Bad, It's my all-time favorite dramatic series. Sorry, Sopranos. Sorry, Mad Men. Um, Sorry, Cagney and Lacey. But um, I – yeah, that would be a show that that I would want to write. Or Better Call Saul was another show that – That was a show that I was so into that it was not enough to just record it and see it at my convenience. I had to see each episode uh, the night they were on. So those would be my favorites. A lot of times these shows are really good the first year and then there's like a huge fall off because they're going, okay, this is pretty much a self-contained 13-episode series series. Now what do we do? And I felt that was the case with Homeland. I felt that was the case with Killing Eve. Um, Fargo is an interesting series because there have been some seasons that I have loved. And then there have been some seasons that I really didn't respond to at all. Dexter was a series when it was originally on Showtime. Um, I loved it for the first few seasons. The John Lithgow year was one of the best seasons of any drama anywhere. And then it kind of got weird, and it was the bizarre serial killer of the week, and I just never really got into it. Uh, And I actually never saw the last two seasons. But then when it was on Showtime again— Then I I watched it, and there were a lot of elements of the original Dexter that were back. I even had Clyde Phillips, the creator of the series and the showrunner, on as a guest on the podcast a few years ago. But um, I'm not sure I loved the ending of Dexter. Loved Lupin, by the way. That was a great show. You know, there's a show that it's a, a Danish show. During the pandemic, you're just like watching everything, especially if somebody gives you a recommendation, somebody who you trust. There's a show called Borgen, and it was a fictional show about the first woman prime minister of Denmark. And there's like three or four seasons, and I originally started watching the show because I had been to Copenhagen, and I loved Copenhagen, so I thought, okay, if nothing else, there's just going to be scenes of Copenhagen. But I really got into the show, so that's another one that uh, that I would recommend. Okay, moving on here. This question comes from David Levinson, You've had three interesting careers in radio as baseball broadcaster and TV writer-director. Okay, I'm going to add fourth as a cartoonist for The New Yorker. Uh, If you were at the beginning of your career, knew what you know now, but had to pick just one, what would it have been? I am a writer above all else. And even when I was broadcasting baseball for the Baltimore Orioles, and here I am, it's my first year as a big league announcer, I still felt the need to keep a journal so that there was just something that I was writing. So I, I would say probably I would continue being a writer. That said, calling baseball games is Way more fun than writing a script. Way more fun. Trevor Kimball, thank you for sending in your question. He says, all of the living cast members of Cheers showed up on Fraser except for Kirstie. Was she ever approached? I'm guessing so, and she wasn't interested. If you could go back and write one about uh, Rebecca returning, what would it be about? Um, you know, it would probably be about her being so nuts. But, uh, yes, she was approached, and she politely declined due to her belief in Scientology and the fact that Fraser, as a a therapist, uh, she felt that that was leading people down the wrong path. (laughs) You could say, well, what about six years on Cheers? Yeah, well, she needed the gig. Uh, things were a little bit different. So uh, she was approached, and and she turned it down. Okay, here comes a question now about uh, the Tony Randall Show, which was the first show that my partner David Isaacs and I were ever on staff of. It is by Roger Green, and he says, Would you happen to know why, how the Tony Randall Show moved from ABC to CBS? Yes. If so, did anyone indicate how standards and practices at all differed between the two networks? You don't see this happen very much anymore, but it happened, I would say, periodically during the 50s through the 80s, where a show would be on one network and it would move to another. Uh, Leave it to Beaver, I think, was on all three networks Um, I think, uh, well, I can name a number of shows, Taxi for one, which started at ABC and wound up at NBC. And uh, this was the 1970, I want to say 1976-77 season, Uh, the Tony Randall show premiered on ABC. We were getting a 30 share, like Thursday night at 9.30, we're getting a 30 share. Again, shows today, in comparison, are getting a .07 share. We're getting a 30 share. And we're on the bubble, (laughs) if you can believe it. And so ABC offered 13 for season two. CBS stepped up and said, we'll give you all 22. We'll give you a full season. So the show moved over to to CBS, where it didn't do as well as it did at ABC. And Grant Tinker, who at the time was running MTM, was quoted later as saying that that was a mistake on his part, that he should have stayed at ABC, taken their chances with 13, probably it would get picked up for more. And he figured, had it stayed on ABC... Chances are it might have had a long run, but CBS one year and out. Um, I don't know. I wasn't there for a year or two. I left to go to MASH. Probably a good move, wouldn't you say? I left to go to MASH. Uh, but uh, judging by the standards and practices at, at ABC when I was with the Tony Randall show, it really wasn't that much and judging by the standards and practices at CBS when I was with MASH um they too were very easy to work with so I don't think that necessarily was the issue okay Brian Kowald he says I recently finished watching the entire run of Modern Family on Hulu. I can't think of a funnier show in recent times. Did you like Modern Family? What did you think of the writing? I loved Modern Family the first few years. And I thought they just kind of ran out of stories and they started repeating themselves and uh, and it wasn't as fresh to me. The writing was terrific. There was some great writing there. He says, "Uh, have you heard anything interesting about the show? Yeah, here's a very interesting thing. There were an awful lot of writers on the show. And it was created by Christopher Lloyd and Steve Levitan. Both terrific writers. I mean, each one is sensational. And they had kind of a falling out after a few years, over the direction of the show. And what they eventually did was split the writing staff in half. And so half was Team Steve and half was Team Chris. And I think they would like alternate episodes. But the the plotting and the storytelling is a little bit different. Uh, I, I think Steve's show's uh, kind of delved more into character. And uh, Chris's shows had more ingenious plots. I mean, it's not so noticeable that you think it's two separate shows, but uh, that was a rather unusual way to work. What did you think of Shelley Long as Jay's first wife? I thought she was great. I thought she was terrific. Um And then uh, Brian says, I actually grew to like the mockumentary format. Maybe I've just grown accustomed to it. I got tired of it, personally. Um, And there was like one point where I thought it kind of got in the way. This was actually one of their classic episodes. It's a great episode where the kids catch mom and dad apparently having sex. And the way it works is the kids are bringing up to their room breakfast in bed, and they open the door, and they find them, and they're shocked. And the camera has sort of their POV for a second as they're in the room, and just for a second, you know, you see them in the bed, and you know what they're doing. And then they cut back to a, a shot of them, and they're... Startled reaction. And, and then, of course, the kids run down the stairs. Now, the next shot is in the bedroom when the parents are discussing oh, my God, what do you think they saw? What do we say? How do we deal with this? Blah, blah, blah. Again, it's really a good scene. I said to one of the producers, so, okay, let me get the reality of this straight. So, in order for us to be privy to that conversation, there had to be a camera already in the room. So, there had to be a guy basically taping them having sex, right? And the producer went, um, oh, hmm, yeah. (laughs) Again, this is the kind of thing, it's called icebox logic, uh, which was an old expression from a Hitchcock play, a Hitchcock movie, where he he says, you're watching the movie, you're fine, it all makes sense, you go home that night, you go to sleep, you get up in the middle of the night, you're hungry, you go down to the refrigerator to get a snack, and you go, hey, wait a minute, how, how did he know that uh, – that, that Mel had the, the bag in his possession. How did he know that? You know. So it's the kind of thing where, yeah, it's a logic problem that you realize after the fact. And we have time for one more question. This is by Richard Below. Richard actually gave me a list of questions. And again, when I do this uh, another time, I will work in more of these questions. But he says, on part two episodes on your podcast, you will say, if you didn't listen to the first part, after listening to this, go back and listen to the first part. Why? Why not go back and listen to the first part first? And the reason is, (laughs) I'm just glad that you made the effort to (laughs) get into this particular... Episode. The fact that you downloaded and are listening to this particular episode, the first thing I say to you is not going to be turn it off, go find something else. So that's one of the reasons why, you know, and if I have an interview where you can't just go back to part one, uh, that the there's a line of questioning; it, it builds and builds and builds to something. So you you won't enjoy part two unless you hear part one first. In that case, I will just have one long segment. So that is the answer to that question. Okay, what'd you think? <laughs> There's some January questions for you. Again, if you have a question, and I have some more here that uh, I'm going to get to uh the next time we do this, but I wanna answer yours as well. So just send me an email to Hollywoodlevine at Outlook.com. That is Hollywoodlevine at Outlook dot com. And again if I get enough of these, since it's fun to answer these questions, uh I will uh do this on a semi regular basis. That'll do it for this week. Our thanks, as always, to Adam and Susie Meister-Butler, to Howard Hoffman, John Wolford, Bruce and Jason Miller. You can follow me no longer on Twitter, but you can follow me on Instagram, Hollywood and Levine, where I showcase uh, my cartoons, including the ones that have appeared in The New Yorker. Thanks so much for listening. Got a good interview coming up next week. Join me then. Bye. Hollywood and the Vine.